and we're live. Hey, this is Gabriel, and I'm starting off the part the podcast with a a fact that we're going to be talking about later on. So, 67% of the GDP in the United States is service related. What does that mean? We'll talk about it in a second. Hi, I'm your host Gabriel Gutierrez, and I'm here with Luis. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of Beating the Market with Gutierrez Capital. How's everyone doing? So I want to ask you, I know you've read this, that it's a pretty basic business that, that you look at. 67% of the GDP is service based. Okay. Have you, have you read about that or no? No, I mean, I know that a lot of it is contributed to by the service industry or just, I mean, how service heavy we are. I mean, you go anywhere, you go to the gas station, there's someone that's going to be helping you, I don't know, uh, put gas in your pump, not pump the gas for you. In some but, places, yeah. Yeah. Not in Texas. But McDonald's, fast food, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't even extend to uh, I think you might be surprised at, at some of the stuff that I'm about to tell you. So I'm not too sure where this chart, what year this chart is based on. I would have to check. But up to 2010, manufacturing only accounted for 20 million people employed in the U.S., and service providing accounted for 110 million. Okay. So what is that like around five, five X? A five to one. Yeah. yeah. Now, another another thing that I want to say is service related doesn't exactly have to be how you said, like someone helping you out at the gas station. Service related can also be Apple selling iPhones. And then there's an IT guy or there's a software developer and they're doing services for Apple. So if you think about it like that, you can go a little bit deeper and say it's not just waiters giving service or stuff like that. It's actually you can look at a product that's being sold and try to find out who's the middleman in this and um, what like how is it how is the uh, economy still service based even in COVID. So let me give you another fact: the Peterson Institute estimates that. Eliminating barriers to trade and services could increase U.S. services exports by as much as 1.4 trillion and create as many as 3 million American jobs. So that's what service does in the U.S. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because a lot of people think that um, a lot of people don't see tech as a service industry. A lot of people don't see a lot of things as a service industry. But at the end of the day, we're a service. We're a service country and every sector is going to have service integrated with them. So. Um, if, if, if financial services banks are going online, there's an IT guy to hire to protect their, their information uh, or, or whatnot. So what we're going to do today is we're going to we're gonna actually going to go into different uh, sectors of the stock market and try to see what you should be buying that you can still benefit in a way in the way that tech is benefiting. Like tech is growing at an insane pace and so is and it's not just because it's tech, but it's also because it's the service industry. Like people are getting jobs from tech and they're able to work. Uh, they're able to freelance. They're, they're able to work for these huge companies. So a lot of work is being created. A lot of money is being uh, created from a lot of jobs being created. So energy sector is going to be service-based as well in some sense. Uh, the industrial sector is going to be service-based in some sense. The consumer discretionary sector is going to be service-based in some sense. So. All of these stocks are going to go up in value and you need to diversify. You can't just own tech, have it go down 10%, 20%, and then everyone else is going up and you just you just have your portfolio negative. 
when you could have had some profit taking to take. So what I want you to do pretty much is I want you to really look at your portfolio and say, what other uh, sectors could I own? So that way my portfolio doesn't suffer when one thing does bad. So the first sector that I'm going to ask Luis about is going to be industrials. The industrial sector is going to be defense, machinery, aerospace, airlines, construction, and manufacturing. These are large, uh, large cap companies. For example, Boeing, 3M, Honeywell, UPS, Delta, Lockheed Martin, Deere, and Caterpillar. These companies are going to have pretty good cash flows and they're going to have big dividends. So I want to ask Luis, what company would you buy in this sector and why would you buy it? Well, just to, just to clarify, I, <laughs> I personally don't like this sector a whole lot. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of growth to do. Um, obviously this isn't a growth sector because again, uh, if you want to go to a growth sector, you're going to be looking at the technology sector, but high growth also means high, high drops. So, or fast drops. So a lot of volatility, nonetheless, let's talk about this sector. So in this sector, the two companies that I like best are UPS and Honeywell. Honeywell is the one that is going to be closer to a traditional industrial because I wouldn't consider, I really wouldn't consider UPS within, within that same category because they've almost become a COVID stock and that's going to mess with their valuation. I think that they're trading a little bit rich right now. It's a little bit expensive based on where they were at previously. So I really like them. Could you still make profits on them long-term and do they pay a good dividend? Absolutely. So are they a good buy? Yeah, for sure. Long-term, I, I don't see why not. But right now, what company I like for the rebound and to diversify your portfolio, it's going to be Honeywell. Honeywell creates pretty healthy cash flows. They, even though their revenues are not growing as fast as uh, as other businesses or, biz or businesses that are still growing and not as mature as Honeywell because they've been around for a while, their margins have been improving insanely, like at a 16% year over year over the last 10 years. So that means that their management is doing very well to manage their debt. They're improving their margins, like I said, and they're a diversified industrial that doesn't just operate in aerospace and defense or uh, manufacturing or oil and gas machinery, etc. They do a little bit of a lot of things, but the one that they're mostly involved with is aerospace and defense. I know what you're going to say. Oh, there's no people flying right now. It doesn't matter. They also have government contracts, which supplement this a lot. Um, this is a very strong stock. And if I had to go with industrials, that's the one that I would bet heavy on. And again, super secured stock. And I think they're back to all time highs ever since March lows. So again, even the market agrees with me on that one. Honeywell sticks out. Okay. So obviously you like Honeywell. I personally, um, I don't know my favorite industrial. I do think that I do think airlines are going to be higher in the future. Of course, um, they're pretty undervalued right now. If you're looking to invest for five, 10 years, I would definitely be buying some. Um, but I can't tell you, you know, I can't say like it's what I'm it's honestly not what I'm buying right now. Um, I'll get into what I'm buying later on when we get into different sectors. Um, but I'll say this much, like, I don't know as much about like, let's say Honeywell. I, I really don't, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't break down a company for you. 
Uh, just going based off charts, uh, I do like FedEx. I feel like they constantly just break resistance every single time. Yep. They always reach all-time highs no matter what. And not always, you know, I'm like exaggerating, but they're very good at, at, um, at uh, technically right on their chart. They're very, very good at going up. So that's the only reason, that's the only stock that I'll give. And the only reason is because I know I only know FedEx's technicals. Um, I really, I really couldn't break down the balance sheet of a lot of these companies. Well, but, but okay, I guess um, not, not to get too far into it, we'll give it maybe like a minute, but, but don't you think that they've run up a little bit too much? Like, okay, like supposing COVID gets done with, obviously we recently had news that Pfizer is have developing this vaccine. We're close to it. A lot of these businesses that are using FedEx and UPS to send these packages out because people are ordering from home. Do you think that they still have the same upside? No, I'm not saying they have the same upside. Well, I mean, I would expect them to have similar drops to to what the tech sector have been suffering it because they're technically COVID stocks or stay at home stocks. So, so do you still think that they're a good buy? That's kind of what makes me stay away. Just the well, rationale, no, not no, even I'm, not even charts, not even anything else. No, like let's say I didn't know the price. Like I'm saying, I'll buy FedEx. Like I think it'll be here in ten years. I hope. I really do think so. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Like, hey, is FedEx going to be here in ten years? Like absolutely like um there's a video in which jeff bezos is talking about amazon the beginning of, of amazon and he says um a lot of people were asking me what's going to change in 10 years and he couldn't give them an answer and he was saying well a better question is what is not going to change in 10 years and i think fedex is part of that it's not it's it's gonna it's still going to be around here in 10 years so i'll invest in that it's one of my favorite ones personally um obviously they benefited very largely from this crash but so i know what you're saying but i still really really think they're they're a really really good company um yeah i'm not going to disagree with you there um for whatever reason i guess i was thinking on a on a short shorter time frame shorter time horizon but yeah i mean if we're looking at it five to ten years are they going to grow no yeah. no you're always trying to <laughs> you're always trying to find something about <laughs> e-commerce e nonetheless e-commerce has been taking a beating recently but we do think that that it will continue to double, even triple over the next 10 years. And as they say, um, it's just, it's kind of like one of those stocks that gets dragged along. So maybe Amazon's doing the heavy lifting and FedEx is just following along. But I like UPS as well. They both pay dividends, uh, which is something that we, we both like. So, yeah. Yeah. So the next sector that we're going to talk about is consumer discretionary. This is going to be, how do you say it? It's, it's going to be where people spend most of their money. It's your Amazon. Well, but, but okay. Like, I think it might be easier to just explain what discretionary income is or what discretion, discretionary, um, what a discretionary expense is. So that's going to be when a consumer spends on a pair of shoes that they didn't need, or maybe they needed it, but. They go and spend on a pair of shoes. They buy a new backpack. They buy a watch, etc. So that's the way to see it. So consumer discretionary. These are things that they don't necessarily need. This is in real estate. This is in assets. Not really. This is just uh, material things that people like because they like. Uh, people buy because they like them. Yeah, and you're gonna find that what Amazon. Everyone's ordering stuff from Amazon. Um, you'll go to Starbucks. Super consumer discretionary. Yeah, it's coffee. It's ten dollar coffee. You go to Target, and that's just overpriced the groceries. Well, but that's 
Well, I guess, I, sorry, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to say that, but that one's going to be consumer defensive just because they're... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, they are. They're not going to be discretionary. <laughs> no, I know you're right, but I'm just not going to let you disagree <laughs> with me. I'm not going to let you disrespect me. No, but... But okay, but yeah, so so we're just going to be looking at companies like consumer. Yeah, yeah your your Macy's, your uh, your Nordstroms, Nike, which will we which we will get into a little bit, Lululemon, etc. So companies that are not absolutely necessary, and for the same reason, there were companies that closed down whenever we had our lockdown. So yeah, dude, and like okay, this one this one's an easy one for me because it's like all right, straight up, we live in a consumer world. Like most people are not focused on hmm. What am I going to produce today? Oh, I want to work a job and get back home and keep producing. I want to keep helping the economy and I, and I want to create things like that's just not what people really do, like, because it's just inherently not enjoyable. What's more enjoyable is consuming, right? It's easier, you know, like people are going to want to spend money on a Starbucks or whatever. They're going to want to go and buy clothes just because they feel like it. Um, that may seem cynical, but it's just true. Like people are never going to start. People are, you know, most people are not good with their money. Most people, it's a very, very few amount of people that are actually savers and don't spend. So like, if you agree that most people don't really care where their money is going or they'll just spend it kind of carelessly, then consumer is always just going to be a good stock. And I just think it's a part of human nature. It's just not going to go away. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we need, we need clothes. We're pretty, materialistic uh, beings unfortunately sometimes we we fall to to the same temptation sometimes we buy things that we don't need a lot of times we buy things that we don't need but um again we're investors so we're not here to talk about emotion psychology we're just trying to break down and state the facts yeah people love spending money on dumb things and we're going to try to take advantage of that so what Every do you stock think minus amazon for sure Consumer discretion. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what you're categorizing it as, but I think yeah, well, it's 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 one of those companies that's just kind of all over the place. They are yeah. consumer discretionary. They are tech because they have their 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 cloud services, but then they also have a delivery system. It, they're so crazy. They're so crazy. Uh, but my favorite consumer discretionary stock is Nike because I like companies with a wide moat, meaning that that they have brand recognition, that they have brand recognition, that they they have something that other companies yeah. don't, something that's unattainable. And that's going to be, they have a wide range of products. A lot of people, it's, it's a household name. They also have elite athletes that sponsor these brands. These guys are all over the Olympics and they're also in the fashion scene. So as far as consumers go, Nike's going to be a cash cow. Like, and even during COVID, they were able to crush their earnings every single time because people were buying Nikes or buying Jordans at home, even when they weren't going out. Like people were still buying these shoes, people were still buying leggings, people were still buying sweats, people were still buying sweaters, whatever. People were still buying Nike. And you said earlier uh, when you were talking to me that at Dick Sporting Goods, you're seeing all these people spend on Nike products just because it's Nike and not because it's the best, the best quality product. But what that leads me to believe is that this is going to be a company that that will continue to grow, will be around for a long time. And even whenever we have slumps like these, I have no problem adding to my position, even if I go down 40% because 
of an externality. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, I think Nike is a pretty safe bet. Adidas is going to be similar, but I've always been a, a check over Stripe kind of guy. So especially because Adidas was founded to <laughs> to what? arm the troops of of Germany in the 1940s. Yes, sir. Which we, is, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fund a Jew hating company. <laughs> yeah, we we, we don't. <laughs> We don't support any fascism around here. This is so. this is great old America. Um, we fought in that war. I'm sorry if there's anyone from German Europe. German stocks. <laughs> no, no. Deutsche Bank. Let's short that one. But but no, seriously, uh, Nike. That would be my stock pick for consumer discretionary. And but, in fact, with uh, Adidas, Adidas was used to fund or to arm the troops of Germany for Hitler, right? And um, his brother, <laughs> the the brother of the. <laughs> founder of adidas is actually the creator of puma because he didn't support doing that so he started a different brand and he would sell boots but he wouldn't arm the troops so yeah random kind of just interesting fact for y'all but <laughs> but okay I know, I know you mentioned amazon do you have any it's cool if you don't but do you have any like second Actual, consumer, like consumer yeah no, well i mean i like guess a, a true consumer yeah yeah like a true consumer discretionary with no other um i guess you could say i think starbucks it's just like they just have very good moat. That moat, they have no one to really compete with them. Yeah. Like, tell me one other like big coffee chain that you see at airports or that you see at schools and colleges that yeah, you like see. Yeah, like a brand. Like I'm what uh, Dunkin' Donuts, maybe. That's. But yeah. I, you tell me like, which one do you think is? Which one's just better? Like, which one gives you better feelings in your mind when you connect? No, no, no. It's it's, it's Starbucks. It's Starbucks. Just think about it. Like. Okay, if I had a mall, and if I had a mall, and I were to say, hey, which which coffee place is going to get more people to stop by, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? It's Starbucks, and you're an idiot if you think it's Dunkin' Donuts. No, Nothing no. against Dunkin' Donuts, but it, no, that's seriously how it is. It's like, oh, you see the green sign, you see the girl on the logo, the, what is it, like the white logo with a few stars, white and green, you see that, you're like, oh, Starbucks, I need this coffee. It's all over TV. Um, Game of Thrones, you saw that, dude. Like, it was an inside joke where there was a, a few Easter eggs where they had coffee, uh, Starbucks coffee cups, like, in some of the scenes. Yeah, no. So uh, you get me, like, no, it's but, not Dunkin' Donuts. No, dog. but that's literally just not what I mean. Like, I was literally just but no, talking about the warm feeling that Starbucks just gives you in your heart when you drink it. <laughs> I made my point because of my beliefs. I don't give a shit what you, what you were getting to. Look, point is, Starbucks point is, is strong. <laughs> point is, like, when you just want to sit and cry and watch romantic movies, are you going to buy Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? I, don't think, I think I'd rather watch Ryan Gosling in The Notebook with a Starbucks. All right, all there's, right. There's no better. There, there's no better way to do it. So <laughs> energy. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. Energy. Yeah. Energy. Energy sector. Energy sector. So um, if you don't know what that is, energy sector. It's pretty much energy. How do things get powered or work? Uh, oil, through oil, gas, coal, and fuel, obviously. So some examples are going to be Exxon, Shell, Chevron, et cetera, et cetera. Diamondback Energy. Um, one key point about these companies is that they generate billions of dollars. And profit every quarter and they give very very good dividends so what's your favorite and why uh my favorite is going to be chevron it's chevron xm i kind of have the same 
Exxon, I kind of have the same standing with between those two. Uh, honestly, I don't understand the natural gas industry too well, so I kind of just stick with petroleum. But these are huge companies that I mean, I don't think that that their need is ever going to to go away. I know that there's been a, a pretty big demand or popularity with EV, but nonetheless, I think that that oil and gas or is is going to be around for a while. So if I had to go between those two. Um, honestly, you could even buy both. They're both paying a pretty fat dividend. I think seven and ten percent um, each. I don't know which one's paying more, but but I know they're paying pretty good dividends, and they're trading right now below them what the company values their own shares at. Um, not even given what the market um, tries to value in the future. So right now they're looking pretty undervalued. They're sitting near March lows. Um, I I like those two. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I I think if. I was listening to Jim Cramer podcast and the only reason I like listening to it is because I know the herd follows him or a lot of the, a lot of people follow him. Obviously uh, most of the traders are not listening. Like, you know, wall street's not listening to Jim Cramer, but Jim Cramer does have a sort of like cookie cutter investor advice. So he said like, Oh, uh, just invest in the big ones. And like, that's it. That's the ones that are going to make it. I hate oil. And I, I agree to an extent. Um, I do think that when it comes to oil, you should own big dogs mostly. Whereas tech, I'll, I'll honestly gladly own around 20 companies in tech because I feel like a lot of them are just have a lot of space to go, uh, room to to run. But uh, when it comes to oil, same thing. Like I'll honestly just buy CVX or XOM, which is Chevron and Exxon, or Diamondback Energy. Uh, it has a super, super high rating. It's trading way, way below. So I think those three are good. If they're going to be, if there's going to be companies that make it out, it's going to be those three. Um, next sector, healthcare. Healthcare is going to be pretty self-explanatory. Pharmaceuticals, healthcare, uh, equipment, and services. Some examples: Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, and United Health. The something that that is interesting about these is that they're just going to be super safe bets, and they're a good place because no matter what, people get sick. We live in a country where we just have super high rates of what is it like um obesity and things like that so people get sick easily and um it's the it's our healthcare that keeps people alive so that's our biggest difference between us and like you know second world countries third world countries it's our it's our uh, our health system so some companies that i like i honestly it's kind of like a not a speculative play, but it's kind of an unconventional play. I would say that my favorite ones in this are telemedicine, and um, you know you can own you can own Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, but I personally like telemedicine stocks. So Livongo and Tdoc, I think those two. Um, I mean, they're like it just makes sense to me that they ran up so high, and I think they have so much space to go. I agree. Um, like, if you wanted to play growth within that, and and I mean, have kind of like, um, I guess, some tech exposure, which again, that's not what what we want to get to, but 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 it's a pretty disruptive business that they're trying to get into, and and it's interesting to see what they're currently valued at. I think they're sitting at twenty five billion in market cap, so they have so much so much room for for growth given um, how much. Tele telehealth can really grow, and then with a synergy of mer of the merger between both companies, it's just an easy bet as far as that goes. And I guess if you wanted to diversify within that sector, you could always go with yeah Johnson and Johnson, or you could add Pfizer and do like 50-50, 60-40 into like your 
your sector position, or you could even get into, I guess what what, what would be oh or United Healthcare. Yeah. Under a Biden administration, that's supposed to be a pretty well performing company given given if we were to to get a Obamacare back into our system. So those would be all bets that that you could or not not bets. Those are all investments that you could make, and they'll be fairly fairly easy simple and they're going to yield your return you're not going to lose money in the next five years uh how long are we at in time we have about five minutes i say we just cut it off and postpone it till, or we just that's just um we what? have a lot of sectors to talk about what what other sector do we have it's it's financial information technology communications utilities real estate and that's it yeah, but okay. I think that's you know that's yeah. another six. So I think we should get into it. Well, so, so, well, I think we have time for one more for financials. We can just do banks real quick. Um, for those that want to get into banks, personally, I like diversifying, but stay away from banks. Um, even if you, it, I, I would just stay away from them. The Federal Reserve is going to maintain interest rates low until twenty twenty three, so these banks are not going to be making any serious money or at least anywhere near what they were making at least two, three, four years ago. For now. For the next three years. Yeah. Like, so so for me, I think, like, even if you wanted to go into that sector, I th- there's no stock that I would recommend you there because what, it, it's so uncertain. But if you wanted to buy a bank, if you wanted to buy one, I guess, sure, buy, buy yourself. JPM. JP Morgan. They're the ones that generate the most revenues. Or go with an investment bank and buy Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. Yeah. Now, now I want to give a little like um, disclaimer, not disclaimer, but a sort of a tip on this one. So financials, the reason Warren Buffett likes them so much is because they make money no matter what. Like you give them money and they're going to charge you interest. And it's just mathematically made so that they make money. You know, like they're not just going to make they're not gonna mess up and make up and make it so that oh like we've been offering loans and we're just straight up losing money every year. Like no, they'll they'll increase the rates. They'll do something. So, but, uh, the reason Warren Buffett likes them so much is just because that's just how money runs. That's how how people get loans. That's how businesses get loans. So they're just uh they're just not growing. They're not gonna grow a lot in the next three years, like you said. But they're still you know they're still valid investments. Um, yeah, they're valid. I think like, like, look, I'll, I'll say this, uh, going back to book values, which again, I'll explain shortly. It's just what a company values their shares at, not at the market value, because the market will always try to price shares based on future growth, based on future earnings, etc. But a company will value their shares based on their current assets. And they'll say, Hey, this is how much my company is worth right now. And this is how much every share is worth. Usually the market prices, like the market value of a share will be higher than the book value of a share. But in in the, the case of Bank of America or Wells Fargo, they're trading below their book value. Again, similar to Exxon. So honestly, I, it's almost like if it were a cash position, if you wanted to buy two, $300 worth of, of Bank of America or Wells Fargo, those two stocks are not going to go lower than $22. There's absolutely no way that it happens. And if it does, that's where that's where I would even I would scale in and just say, hey, 
over the next five, 10 years, at some point I'm going to get my return. And instead of having my money in a savings account, I'll just take a little bit of risk here and you can lose maybe $3 per share times 10. Uh, you lost $30 could be worse and you're still getting dividends. So if you wanted to do that, um, it's something you could do, but in the meantime, in the short term, I don't think you're going to make a, a crazy return if we're being honest. So uh, on that sector, you want to diversify into it again, go ahead, but that's going to be an underweight rating for me. It's going to be an underweight. I would sell. No, not sell them. I mean, if you have them, just hold on to them. They've kind of popped recently, but I'm still staying away from them. I'd rather own Square. I'd rather own PayPal. Even Visa. Visa MasterCard, financial services. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Just buy Visa or MasterCard. I'm not even going to go into those. Credit card companies have insane margins. And even whenever we have bad economic times, we're staying away from cash at all times. These companies are making money from Cash App, from PayPal. And as long as people are ordering stuff online, they're making money because these customers are using their visas, MasterCards, credit cards, debit cards, whatever. So even if it's an electronic credit card that you put on your Apple Pay and you don't have a physical one, it's still going to be run through them. So uh, throw away all the banks, Visa, MasterCard, buy those, they pay a dividend too, and they're not going away. So Gabriel, we have about 50 seconds left in the podcast. We'll be cutting it off here, guys. Uh, I hope you all like this episode. We'll be trying to release the next part of this uh, mini series or mini, uh, I guess, collection of episodes just to help you all understand diversification and all the different sectors. So that is pretty much it for me. Gabriel, you got any any last words for listeners? No, sir. That'd be it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. This was Beating the Market with Gutierrez Capital. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.